Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. And today's guest is Annie Miller. In fact, I think the whole create a life by design fits her motto pretty well because she helps not only regular people who are just trying to improve their body, get better at training, so on and so forth, because she is a trainer. She's an online coach now. Um, and she is a strength coach. So she actually went to school, got her CSES. She's very well educated. Now she trains people online, but she also helps business owners. Her and I see eye to eye and have a very, very similar approach to helping people. We think long-term, we think big picture, we think doing things your way. And we like to use not only science, but also experience. There were so many times in this podcast where I was just like, man, you're just taking the words out of my mouth, reading my mind. Um, And we aligned really well, which made the conversation perfect. So you guys are really going to enjoy this one because if you listen to this podcast, I know you have a similar mindset as Annie. So you guys are going to enjoy this, get ready to take some notes um, and figure out why the simple but sustainable and long-term approach is probably the best approach for anything you want to achieve in life. We talk about business. We talk about fitness. The fitness talk can apply to nutrition. We talk about being a better coach. We dive into quite a bit. And I think once again, you're going to get a ton out of this. I really enjoyed it. um, And I'm excited to bring this one to you guys. So we have a few different links in the description of this podcast, just based on what she offers from her website to her content, to her course and stuff like that, um, as well as some free stuff. So go check that out. Give her a follow on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is AnnieMiller.co. And make sure if you enjoy this podcast, not only leave us a five-star rating review, you on Spotify and iTunes, but make sure that you take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story and tag myself at Cody McBroom and tag Andy at AndyMiller.co. We want to thank you for listening and we want to share it on our story as well. Now, without any further ado, let's talk to the one and only Annie Miller. All right. I'm uh, Annie. I'm selfishly excited for this one because I still don't know a ton about you. But like I said, before we started recording, um, I stumbled upon your Instagram somehow And there hasn't really been anything that I didn't agree with or like what I saw. Um, I think there was, and this is such a random thing I remember. I think that there was, there was actually one thing I've ever disagreed with. And it's not even that I disagreed. It was just, it challenged what I do. And it was putting your prices on your website. I saw that and I was like, I agree with her point of view. I like that, but my prices aren't on my website. So it's like, other than that, I've loved everything. Not that I didn't like that. But I've loved everything you've put out. It's uh, very transparent, very authentic. I really enjoy the just your approach of thinking big picture and long-term on both the business Mm -hmm. and the training side. And that's something I share in common. It's what I talk about constantly with my mentor clients or when I speak at these business coaching things, or I'm just talking to somebody about losing weight. Like it's all big picture, long-term sustainability. Um, So I really, really appreciate that about you. And I'm excited to kind of dive into that. But first your background, tell us who you are and why you do what you do today. Yeah. Um, so I come from a strength and conditioning background. That was actually why I went to college in the first place to get a four-year degree was to get my CSCS so that I could be a college strength coach. And in that, in that experience, I loved everything about it, loved working with the athletes. I had an incredible experience for an internship, very grateful for it. Um, I worked under Cat Wade and Bradford Scott at University of Portland. And like I said, all positives except the politics of um, college strength, the fact that you really don't always get to do what you want because you are technically underneath the coaches of these teams, right? And so you have to answer to them um, and and them letting you do your job doesn't always happen the way that that the coaches wanted to. And I witnessing that, um, I was like, okay, that with 
the pay with, I was also getting married at the time or planning to get married at the time. Um, and I was not willing to like uproot my life to go get a GA somewhere and move wherever a job opportunity was available. It's just not something that I was willing to do uh, for that job. And so once I graduated college and got my CSCS, I was like, well, what now? Because the last four years have been dedicated to this plan that is now no longer my plan. So um, I started training people in person, actually, at the competitive cheerleading gym that I coached at. Uh, her husband had a bunch of equipment. And so I took over some of his clients and just started building in-person clientele at an amazing uh, payment to the gym that you would not be able to get anywhere else. Um, and so I got to keep most of the money that I was making from in-person, which was like super blessing. Um, and I didn't, you know, I applied to work at some personal training only facilities, but you also had to do some other stuff that I just, I didn't want to teach group fitness. I didn't want to sub for classes. Like I was like, where does somebody who wanted to be a strength coach go when they're not a strength coach? There's not a lot of places where you are fulfilling the work that you really want to be doing. I didn't want to just be a personal trainer at LA fitness. I didn't want to go the globo gym route. So that's where I started researching, um, actually John Goodman and online training. And he was like the only person at the time, this was back in 2014, 2015, that was really doing that had some really good SEO on it. And so I started an online business, knew nothing, knew absolutely nothing. I got a business license and didn't do anything with it for like a year. Uh, and then slowly from 2015 to 2017, 2018, built a built enough money on the online side to match what I was making on the in-person side. So built the online side while I was working 40 to 50 hours a week, training in-person clients and coaching competitive cheerleading. Um, and then in 2018, my husband was like, well, he's in 2017, I guess he said, what if we just traveled? And I was like, yes, let's do that. I need to make a little bit more money, but absolutely. So then in 2018, we took off for a year of world travels. And that was kind of my my business was sustainable at that point, but that was my sink or swim moment. Like he's quitting his job. I am the breadwinner. I've got to make this work and scale it to be able to live the life that we want. So 2018, I kind of see as like my pivotal year in business. Um, and honestly traveling freed up the space that I needed to really like figure out what I wanted my business to be long-term kind of how you said. So 2018, 3X to my business, built out my Built by Annie membership. Um, it was a single program at the time, and I built it into three different tiers along with educational content, made body weight for weightlifters, created the big lift audit, and kind of finalized my offer pyramid in 2018. And then 2019 started coaching business in addition to fitness. So my business is 50-50, um, 50-50 with work and 50-50 roughly with revenue, what comes in on the business side and the fitness side, because people were, there was just a demand for it. So I had a lot of women, especially looking at the business that I built and they were like, wow, she's like built this sustainable thing without maybe doing some of the things that people think they have to do, AKA sales calls, AKA hiding their prices, AKA selling their body online. <laughs> and, uh, I did not do any of those things. I've always listed my prices. I've never done a single sales call. And I attempt to keep it modest on the gram. So started coaching business simply because of the demand in 2019 and have been doing all of that up until now. 
I love it. Yeah, that's it's yeah. actually really funny how uh, similar and parallel our stories are, even from a timeline perspective, actually. Um, okay. I even, cause I remember I didn't go the strength coach CSCS route, but, um, the person I worked for was very much in that world, just kind of shifted okay. to the gen pop. Right. But when I started, it was like, I had no choice, but to run the boot camps first before I got to do the private and semi-private work with athletes and shit like that. So I had to do that. Um, I originally wrote a lot of content via blog and I wanted to start on my business. So I got John Goodman's book. I think it was called Mm -hmm. reignite the fire was his first book or something like that. Um, read that. Then I started actually connecting with Nate green because I knew he did a lot with the online stuff with John Brardy. And then I, 2017, I quit my job, went online 2018. We grew really fat. Like it's really, really funny. Um, very parallel. And then uh, eventually people ask me to help them with their business because there is a need for it. And there's a lot of shitty masterminds and shitty business coaches. And, um, funny enough, that's, I was just in Arizona speaking. That's exactly what I talked about. I was like, I went up and I was like, you don't have to do any of the shit you guys think you do. And I just went off on my story and how I didn't do any of that. I didn't create funnels. I haven't ran advertising. I didn't do all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's really, really funny. It's, it's cool though. It's, it's nice to hear other people that are doing things the right way. And, and maybe as, as odd as it is to say, go against the grain. Cause I don't feel like that should be, you know, like, I don't feel like that should be yeah. abnormal, but it is compared to, I mean, you can correct me wrong, but I think you probably see more people doing the opposite or thinking they need to do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it even like I posted in my Instagram story, a lot of questions that have been coming in with the peer programming course that I just launched is, do we continue to get access to all of the content, like once we finish the 13 weeks and with all of my offers, you continue to get access to the content. It's, it's lifetime access as long as the course exists. And so I was just flooded with DMS of people saying that, like, that's not normal, that typically people are told that they have to repay for the course or repay for the booklet or whatever. And I'm like, you already paid for it. Why would you not continue to have access, especially because I teach in a way that is much more like principles and concepts that you can come back to and review and revisit. Like I use my own processes over and over and over again to create new offers or do whatever with my clients. So even that, I'm just always so surprised when like those things aren't the norm Yeah. because in my brain, they just should be. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you said this is actually a good transition into kind of talking about your training philosophy with, with women and, and really everybody you help. Um, you said principle-based. And I think that a mm-hmm. lot of people get so tied to the method, like one single method that somebody uses on Instagram that's like cool or whatever. Um, and there's that quote, uh, methods are many, principles are few, methods often change, principles never do. And I always mm-hmm. repeat that because I'm like, there's principles in strength training. There's scientific principles that we can't get around. And that's like you said, you can always go back to them because you can apply them in so many different ways, so many different people. Um, and I think that's a really good um, sign of a great coach. So- in your coaching, what you do with people on mm-hmm. the training side before we get into the business side, um, could you, I know this is like a really broad question, but like explain, <laughs> explain your philosophy. Like what is uh, your approach and how do you try to approach training uh, the people you work with? Yeah. So um, these are, I joke in one of my other courses about your, I make coaches identify their values which I think permeate your principles to some extent um, outside of obviously like science. So on my built by Annie webpage, I actually have like performance over aesthetics um, process over result. Like these are some of the things there's like six of them. Um, But I am definitely long haul mentality. I have never offered anything. uh, Once I established built by Annie, all of my programs, one-on-one built by Annie, anything is 12 months because to me, 
I don't, well, one, I don't want to work with somebody for eight to 12 weeks. I really enjoy the relationship aspect and seeing people through different seasons of life with their training so that they understand that, you know, your life load and your training load have to, there is a relationship there and they affect one another. And so I really want people to, I guess, see the holistic approach and how training and life work together. They're cohesive or they should be cohesive and your expectations in one of those need to align with your expectations in the other one. Um, I also am very like simple over fancy. You're going to squat, hinge, push, pull, carry for fucking ever. Like that's, (laughs) that's what we're doing here. Um, And I also am really big on like thinking about patterns, I guess, more on the scientific or the movement side, thinking about patterns versus one particular movement. So I always talk about like squatting patterns, hinging patterns, you know, a, a split squat is a squatting pattern. A step up is a squatting pattern. Um, we don't have to deadlift. We don't have to back squat, but all of my clients are going to do those different patterns in some way, shape or form. And so hopefully helping people see, like, you're not restricted to one thing within strength training. Um, so when I say you're going to squat, hinge, push, pull, carry, it's not that everyone is doing back squats, conventional deadlifts, so on and so forth, but we are going to make sure that you can get into your end ranges, make sure you do know how to effectively squat some way, somehow effectively hinge that you can pick something up and walk with it. Those are very important to me. I know people don't love like functional movement. Um, but I call those like the fundamental movement patterns versus functional, like any fucking movement is functional you're functioning, you're moving. Um, but I do consider those the fundamental movement patterns and all of my clients will do them. So that is, that is in a nutshell, what I focus on and aesthetics is not a part of it. I mean, I get clients that send me pictures or like they catch their back in the mirror and they're like, excuse me, when did those muscles appear? But it's almost like icing on the cake because we don't focus on it. So when you see aesthetic changes out of just the process, it's almost sweeter in my opinion, because it hasn't been your focus, but it's a nice byproduct of the training that we do. Yeah. I love that. I think that, uh, I think it was, are you familiar with Dan John? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So Dan John was, uh, my, the, my teacher in college was good friends with Dan John and I got really okay. blessed to be introduced to a bunch of just like the old school OGs in the strength world, like at a really young age. Um, I was 18 when I met all these people, but I remember like starting to get into stuff and wanting to be fancy. And then Dan John came in and basically said what you said, squat, hinge, yeah. push, pull, carry heavy <laughs> things. And I'm like, there's gotta be more to it, man. There's gotta be more. Nope. And it's like, it really can't be that easy. But today on Instagram, you see, so many people, some that even have clout in the industry and like a lot of people follow that just do the fanciest shit that doesn't really actually make sense or it just mm-hmm. it potentiates a bigger risk than reward. And it's like, why do it? You know? So my exactly. question, my question to you is how do you convince people to do it? Or do you feel like you don't have to because of your content? Like, I know there's probably people that come to you. They're like, you don't need to explain it. I get it. I trust you. But there's gotta be people that are like, can we do this? Or what about this? Or ask you questions and kind of poke you about it. Yeah. Um, I think that you weed a lot of that out with your content. So I don't get a lot of requests for that. Um, every once in a while, a one-on-one client will have like an aesthetic goal. They want to, you know, increase the size of their glutes or put on size in their delts or not widen their back. I have a lot of women who, you know, with strength training, if you aren't careful, you can build muscle in places you don't want to build muscle, right? And in the bodybuilding world, in the physique world, we see all the time that they purposely atrophy certain areas and, you know, gain muscle in other areas. Um, and so 
I will answer those requests, but simply by managing volume and load in the areas that they want to grow or not grow. So anytime somebody has a request for like fancy, it's like, okay, we can do some, some box jumps. We can do some explosive work to make you feel athletic and that's fine. Um, but generally speaking, I don't get, even in like the DMS from free content, I don't get a lot of inquiries about the fancy stuff. I think just because my messaging is so clear that it, we're, we do the simple stuff um, and we do the simple stuff really well. And we accept that you're going to do that for the rest of your life. Hopefully, if you're blessed enough to be able to do that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's why organic yeah. content marketing helps so much because you're not running one yeah. ad to get leads that end up being shitty leads. You get people that are yeah. understanding of your message. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the hope and the goal should be that you've provided so much free, valuable content that is actionable, that actually changes people's lives, makes something a little easier. You give them something that they can actually go apply to their training today that they come back and they're like, I want to give you my money. I want to train. I want more information. Like that is the ultimate goal of putting out free content. Yeah. I could not agree more. And we're going to dive into yeah. that um, deeper and deeper. I want to touch on a couple more training style mm -hmm. questions first. Uh, do you have like a, something I always get asked, uh, I get asked questions about like the best training split or how much volume do I do? And everything is like, it depends, but you, I got to imagine, see a lot of the same people. And when you talk about balancing life and training or recovery, cause like you said, this, that's huge to me is like, Hey, recovery isn't just about the stress in the gym. It's about the stress with your diet, with your mind, with your emotions, with your family, with your work. I mean, it's everything, right? Your nervous system is going to feel mm -hmm. all that. Um, so when you're considering lifestyle, balancing things, the fact that you're going to have 12 months with somebody, is there like a system you kind of go to where you're not doing too much, you're doing enough? Like there's always this kind of sweet spot. Do you feel like you've figured that out for most people? Yes, I would say, well, one of my clients know that coming in. So like if I have a teacher, when they're off for summer, we go hard. We're like, we are going to increase the intensity. You get to take naps during the day. This is amazing, right? So that is a season where we really get to push. And then say, when school picks back up, we're going to pull that back, uh, maybe even days per week, maybe just the volume within, you know, say they're training four days a week. We're just going to decrease the volume or decrease the load. Um, not, not a deload, but literally just like for their phase, we're going to lower the overall intensity. Um, and, you know, I'll do that week to week if, that's the nice thing about one-on-one -on -one versus I guess a templated program is you really can do those things week by week, depending on the stress that someone is experiencing outside of the gym. And, and I am in the gray area with that because I know the pendulum swings so hard in each direction of like, listen to your body, rest, don't push it, have grace for yourself. Like I am all of those things, but I'm also like grit, follow the program, be accountable to yourself, efficacy, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I try to mend, uh, I guess, mix those two worlds as much as possible with my clients. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I think that a lot of people go too far in either one direction. They're always yeah. going to failure and smashing themselves or they're just never really going hard enough and yeah. even understanding what RPE is. Yeah, we need both. Yeah. So speaking of both, um, something I often talk about is being evidence-based. You know, and I think that's a combination of being science driven or science based and also having experience. So my question for you is where do you find that experience maybe 
comes ahead of science or vice versa. I see a lot of people that are so about the science that they forget to try shit and understand that not everything's going to be studied first. And then there's other people who are so like underground, like fuck science that they don't even consider the research of what is actually out there. Um, so I'm based on your content. I know you kind of fall in the middle. Like I do, like you got to have both, but, um, I'm curious of, of, if you have examples or if you've had these conversations with people of when, like, maybe you shouldn't just listen to the science and we should go off experience. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think those go hand in hand. So like one of my, I think why I enjoyed college so much is because I was training, I was taking everything I was learning in class and using it in my training, which one obviously makes that information stick way more. It also just makes sense. You actually can apply what you're learning in class. And that is what I encourage in the peer programming course that I just launched is like, I give them so much fucking information. It's going to mean absolutely nothing if they don't apply it. Absolutely nothing. It was a waste of time. And I make that very clear. So I think that those two things go hand in hand. I also think it gives you something as a coach. I, I don't think that, you know, I want to make sure like a lot of my clients are stronger than me. You don't have to be stronger than all your clients. You don't have to have a better physique than all of your clients. Like I want to make that clear for coaches, but I do think you walking the walk to some extent or having experience with something, if you're going to give it to a client to some extent is helpful as a coach. So that's, I, I respect both sides of like, I don't always share my training because how I'm training shouldn't affect my business or my clients, right? I don't want to base my business on my training. That is not my goal because if that goes away or I change what I want to do, then that's going to have an effect on my business because those two things are tied together. And in my mind, they shouldn't be. But like I said, I think that that walking the walk, um, I can't deny anytime I do post videos of me lifting or whatever, there is tons of positive feedback and people enjoy seeing somebody walk the walk. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I, th- I mean, I definitely have some clients that look way better than me, but, um, yeah. but I'm trying, you know, and I think that yeah. it's funny cause I actually recently started, uh, I always share my training sessions, all my, mm-hmm. my story every single day. And I stopped putting my sets and reps and like all that kind of shit, unless I'm like proud because of how much was on the bar. I'll kind of mention like, oh, yeah. I, I was a PR, so I'll put that on there. But, uh, I try to avoid that stuff. And I started kind of putting like the lesson of the session, you know, and it's like, what was I thinking? How was I like managing patience and pacing and whatever it may have been? Um, because like you said, people will like DM me and then be like, well, what were you doing here? How much do you have this? And Hey, how much do you weigh and what's your diet? Like, and I'm like, Whoa, bro. Like it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like that doesn't matter at all. You know? So, Mm -hmm. um, I respect that a lot. And I think that's really good. And I think a lot of people need to hear that because there is, there's a, it's hard to say this without pissing some people off, but like, if you look like shit and you're out of shape, like you need to change something because you're a coach trying to be a role model for people who are trying to change their body and their health. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you, I've seen coaches talk about that and get like, you know, sent to the slaughter Mm -hmm. for saying things like that, but there is some truth to it. Right. And you can't deny that. And I think it's silly to, I guess, maybe be on the other end of the spectrum with that. You can't look any way or look maybe even contradictory to what it is that you're selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if you can't apply it yourself now, that is another reason I also am not for like, especially for women. I was never one. I have good genetics. I was blessed with good muscular genetics and I'm aware of that. And I never wanted to build my business upon that either 
for the very reason of one, I can't guarantee that for you. Like I'm going to train a certain way and get results. And I can't promise you that, you know, you're going to have shoulders like me or, butt like me or quads like me. So I am going to pull back on that as much as possible and just teach you the principles and education so that you have the efficacy to go apply these things yourself in your training. And you end up with whatever fucking physique you end up with. I love that. That's huge. I think not enough people actually say that and talk about that. And there's some people that are, that will say like, Oh, I have shitty genetics. And it's like, bro, no, you don't like you have great genetics and it's okay to admit that, you know? So I'm, I I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I wish I did, you know? Um, and, and the thing is I actually, my, it's funny because my family does and they did. I just was a fat kid my whole life. So I probably do have good genetics. I just couldn't see them for a long time until I actually got my shit together after high school and started working out and stuff. But I use that example too. There's, there was something, um, do you know who, uh, Jared Hamilton is? I don't know. I don't think so. So he's, uh, I mean, I hate using the word influencer, but that's how I looked yeah. at him at first, but he's a coach and I've actually, uh, come to like him quite a bit. Like we're, we've been on each other's podcast, good guy. And he said yeah. something that like always stuck with me. And it was like, if you're going to compare, compare the whole story. And I love that mm-hmm. because I always tell people, they'll ask me about what I'm doing. I'm like, Hey, just remember, I've been lifting for 12 years. My office right here, I take two steps out and I have a 2000 square foot gym. Like I literally have no excuse. Oh, by the way, there's 30,000 people watching me to make sure I work out every day. So like, I literally have no excuse. I have the most accountability. I get paid to do what I do. My wife helps cook my meals. Like I'm fucking set now. It took a while to like Mm -hmm. make it this way, but I'm a horrible person to compare to, you know what I mean? So compare to your own story. If you're just comparing the fact that we're the same height and age, you're just going to be frustrated. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for you. I am also really big on like, I've had clients in the, um, whether you want to call it the body positivity space or intuitive eating space, kind of melding those two who are thin white women and they feel like they can't speak up or share Mm. their story. And I'm like, everybody has a story. You sharing your own story that doesn't affect anyone else. So if someone is affected by that, that's a them thing, right? That's not a you thing. (laughs) You sharing your own story is absolutely your right. Mm. Um, And I do think that it will help people. So whether that's in the strength world or any other world of the health and fitness space, I do think, like you said, everybody's body has a story. And I think that if you want to share that, or you think it could help someone, you should absolutely do that. Yeah. Mine happens to be more like, yeah, I have great genetics, but I've had freaking injuries up the yin yang. And that's why efficacy is very important to me because from the medical side, I was told that I couldn't do a lot of things or shouldn't do a lot of things. And that's just not true. Like you always have options. And so you just have to search until on the medical side, someone you find a doctor that actually understands like what a deadlift is and wants to help you get back to doing those things. And that's a good example because there's always somebody who relates to everybody. Nobody's going to be exactly the same. But like I I was saying Mm -hmm. that this weekend too, because some people were like, well, I don't have this crazy story or I didn't play this sport or I didn't have this insane struggle. It's like, yeah, but your averageness might actually be what helps people relate to you because there's other average people that don't want to be average anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the norm is very relatable before. Okay. So I have two more training questions. Then we're going to move into business because I'm, I'm, uh, I have a lot of questions there. Um, I want to ask about body positivity now that you brought that up because that's an interesting topic. Okay. And then uh, I want to talk about your course real quick before we get into business stuff because I am curious about what's in that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I've been asked this countless times and I actually am st- still somewhat, I kind of like just put my blinders on and ignore a lot of 
chatter and stuff. So I kind of still don't mm. know what it is fully, but I understand that it's basically like healthy at any size is kind of like the whole thing. And I've been asked this a million times. Um, but you seem like a person that is, is not only transparent, but you really understand how to properly word things to get people to understand what you're talking about, you know? I mean, even with the genetic thing, that was a good way of saying it without people being like, oh, screw you and your genetics, you know? Um, yeah. So have you, I'm assuming you've been asked about this and I'm just curious, what are your thoughts if you don't mind answering that one? I don't, I don't consider myself in any of those spaces or an expert on body positivity or body neutrality. My stance for a long time, I guess, has more so been like action versus words. Mm. So like I said, I set out in the beginning, I guess this is going to be a segue, so I'll pull it together, I promise. When I started on social media, it was very important to me that I was modest in what I was wearing, in the angles that I was using, because I was aware that that could be a distraction from what I was actually wanting people to learn, right? And I'm just aware of that. Um, that led to me being known for not showing my abs or my ass on the internet, and that wasn't the plan, right? The plan was yes, to be modest, but it wasn't my plan to become known for that or for women to come and work with me because of that. When they came to my page, it wasn't just my butt on the page, right? There was actually helpful content. So that was the plan. That kind of segues into the fact that I just wish we focused on bodies less. That's, I wish we just fucking lived in our bodies and we fed them as well as we can with the means that we have. And we used them in the way that they were designed to be used in a way that we enjoy, whether that's running for you, whether that's lifting. And I wish we just had less focus in general on what size it is or the composition or what it looks like or what society says it should look like. My stance is just, I wish we were all more neutral, I guess. So I definitely, um, if you don't follow the chubby CrossFitter, her name is Sarah. And I have been friends with her for years on the internet. And I think she does such an amazing job. You're basically tagging me and I'm tagging her. <laughs> um, she does an amazing job of, you know, saying that she wants people to accept their body in the size that it's in, but also there are legitimate health concerns that come with obesity. And we need to consider those as well. Right. So like, yes, let's take care of our body better and accept it at whatever size it's at, but also let's not completely deny science and that there are health risks with being obese. And I think that that's kind of a beautiful way of looking at that because I do see value in, you're not going to hate your way to a smaller body. And also a smaller body is not going to make you happier. Right. So that's, that's my take on all of that. I know nothing quite frankly. Um, and I think that it's, I see why people keep their blinders on because there's a lot of heat in either direction you go with discussing some of these topics, especially yeah. on the internet. Yeah. hundred percent. And honestly, yeah. I mean, the way you broke down is perfect. It really is. Yeah. Cause that's the truth. I mean, there is, there's health consequences and it's on both spectrums, right? I've worked with yeah. people on the opposite where they come to me after a bikini competition or they're uh -huh. like quote unquote uh -huh. addicted to running and we're like, Hey, you really need to gain weight because you are in an unhealthy place. There is a middle yeah. ground. And I think that, um, I don't remember who I took this from. I definitely didn't make this up, but uh, they always okay. said like the, the physical follows the physiological. So like what oh, you're yeah. saying, you know, let's focus on movement. Let's focus on health. Let's focus on getting strong and resilient. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the physical will improve because of that. Instead of trying so mm -hmm. hard to focus on the physical that you create all these unhealthy psychological and physiological problems, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 
And I would even be really interested. Um, there's a doctor, I forget what her name is, but she's very focused on, I hate that. I don't remember what her name is right now. She's very focused on rather than looking at the fat composition of someone, how much skeletal muscle do they have mm. and the importance of skeletal muscle and the causes or the um, effects on health that that has positively. Mm. So I know nothing, but I would be very interested to see science go more in that direction as well, just to see the benefits of having more skeletal muscle on your body from a metabolic standpoint, from a lot of different standpoints. That's actually a really good, I, I was uh, digging into, there was like this, I mean, this is how nerdy I sound. There was like a battle between people of P ratio and like what side of the spectrum they land on. But there was a study on like insulin sensitivity, P ratio, things like that. And it yeah. was on NFL linemen and sumo wrestlers and stuff like that. And they actually did see some improvements in health, even though they were obese technically, because when you're right. a sumo wrestler, you're actually really fucking strong. And when you're an NFL lineman, although you have a lot of fat, you also have a lot of muscle. And they were actually mm -hmm. seeing a lot of health improvements because of that. So that would be a really well cool path for them to go. And that, I mean, it also makes me think of, you know, the like quote unquote skinny fat, mm. like there are very small people who are probably metabolically unhealthy and don't have, you know, nearly any muscle mass and do have a very high fat percentage, but they're skinny. They're small on a BMI. They would probably have a good BMI, but they're not, you know, metabolically healthy. They don't have skeletal muscle. So again, I'm not saying any of that is a thing. I'm just interested to see research, maybe go in that direction more on having and attaining and the benefits of having skeletal muscle. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. That's a really cool way of looking at it. Um, yeah. another, another question popped up. So we're going to add another one it. in the training realm. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of, and this is almost like a clickbaity answer, but like, or question, but like, where do, where do women go wrong with lifting? Like when you see women, what do you see is like when somebody comes to you, let's say they, they, they're at the point where they trust you. They know like your methods work. So they're not going to like question you, but they clearly don't get it. They're not doing the right things. What do you see? Like, what are the big mistakes you see people making that you try to fix? Um, a few things and they're going to sound really boring, but, uh, the lack of using tempo is really big, like actually controlling a movement, learning movement patterns, working on skills and each movement pattern as a skill versus mm -hmm. like these eight exercises are going to build my butt. Right. Um, I would also say the whole using eight to 12 exercises versus four to five people see my built by Annie training. And this is after they've already trusted, they've invested in my program, they've bought it. And they see that each workout is, you know, four to five exercises. And they're like, what have I gotten myself into? This is going to be way too easy. And then they're freaking destroyed. And my goal is not to destroy them, but that is a common um, thing that happens. And then obviously they can adjust their weights and all of that, but that is because they're using four to five compound movements under tempo with specific rest at a certain RPE. And that is not something that they are used to in workouts that they find on Instagram or that maybe they have downloaded from someone else. So getting them to trust the process of four to five exercises, the fact that they may not be sore after every workout. I think that that's a thing we're going to have to fight forever is that soreness equals effective workout. Um, so pretty, it's the same generic stuff that you see people debunking all the time. There's nothing special. And I don't tend to get people who, I know a lot of people talk about like, you know, you make your gains in the rest, you make your gains in recovery, right? I don't tend to get a lot of the all or nothings because a lot of my clients actually come to me from CrossFit because they're looking for something that isn't as intense yeah. four days a week. So I don't have to fight that battle very often. Yeah. We work with a lot of those people too. And I, and honestly, I think that, um, 
you say like all the stuff you see being debunked, but I think it's more like all the stuff you and I see being debunked because, okay, thing, yeah. you know what I mean? I always try to remember that because I'm like, oh, like this has been said a million times. And I'm like, actually, there's a whole bunch of normal people who don't follow researchers yep. and strength coaches like I do. So they don't know, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because uh, I did, uh, actually, I have a leg day today and I literally, it's, I'm like box squat, RDL. I think I have a lunge and then maybe like a hip thrust finisher. It's four exercises. That's it. Yeah. And it's brutal. But like, I'll get this question all the time and it always drives me crazy because I'm like, why does there have to be a number? But like how many, uh, like how many exercises on an upper body day? Like I get that on a podcast question or Instagram question all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. Why does there have to be a specific number? There's some programs where like for a leg day, it might just be three, four, five for an upper body day. Yep. It might be four, five, six. Cause you have arms. Yep. It depends. But even then, why does it have to be a number? Like that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I get why people think that way too. So, I mean, if you, I totally agree with you on the fact that like we've created these bubbles for ourselves to live in as far as the science realm goes, who I choose to follow, the information I choose to take in. And it only takes me like heading over to Pinterest for two seconds to remember what the real world (laughs) is like and still thinks about fitness, especially for females. I literally on Pinterest, I took a screenshot the other day. It was a video from TikTok that had come over to Pinterest and it said core workout. And she was literally in a handstand with her feet on the wall and her legs bent like she was going to twerk. And I was like, (laughs) okay, okay, here we go. Uh, Here we go. This still exists. So that's why I, and I actually go on Pinterest almost every day, but I don't follow any fitness content at all. Like Mm -hmm. I just, my Pinterest is like, cars, Harleys, tattoos. And that's basically it. And like, I just, it's like mindless. Like nobody follows me. I don't have to do anything. Um, but I've been sent things on Pinterest, like, like Uh advertisements and stuff. And it's just, it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I think a big, a big piece of why people fail to do, like, if you just look at a piece of paper and it says there's four exercises and you go do it and you don't, and you're like, that wasn't that effective. I'm not exhausted. It's because you haven't been coached on RPE. There's probably no notes. There's no technique and cueing. And I think that's where, and you can probably attest this. I say it all the time. And it's, it's unfortunately really hard for new trainers in today's world because of COVID and everything. But it really is helpful to be an in-person trainer first because that's what teaches you. What do I say to this person while they're squatting to make that squat the most effective thing and for them to learn how to squat properly as a skill, like you said, because it's neurological mm-hmm. really. Um, and when they learn that and they take that away, that's what make those, makes those simple programs so much more effective. Yep, yep. I think um, I've said that many times that I think training in person is invaluable. It, if you, obviously, like you said, COVID makes it difficult, but I would like someone to train in person for at least three years before fully going online. So my ideal for someone is to train in person while building an online audience so that when you do transition online, you know, you're not starting from scratch, you've built up content, you've built up some kind of audience and you can make a smooth transition into the online space versus starting from scratch in person and then having to start from scratch all over again online. Yeah. So, and the problem there, it's not actually a problem, but the problem for people is that you said three years and that's a long time to them. And it's really not, you know, and it's, it's not, and this is why, like I said, our, our stories are similar. When I, mm-hmm. I started, I interviewed for an internship at a, at a strength facility and I was in it and he said, what do you want to do long-term? I was like, I want to create an online fitness company. And, uh, I was 19 years old at the time, I think 18 or 19. And he, uh, he said, cool, like work here for five years and then you'll have the right to do that. And I, and for people listening, I trained people for six and a half years there before I started online business. So like, yep. 
not everybody has to do six and a half full years, but that was what yeah. allowed me to become what I am today as a good coach in my eyes, because I learned yep. so much in person. Yeah. I trained, yeah, seven years in person before, before fully transitioning online. Mm -hmm. So I did start taking online clients, I think five years into training people in person. But I mean, there's a reason that most coaches who have built a successful online business say you need to train in person. Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason it's a common theme. So, yeah. 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 How old are you right now? 32. Okay. So you started in yeah. the industry pretty young then I assume, cause this is basically all you've ever done. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Good. Yes. It's cool. Cause like, I think uh, some, for some people they'll hear them like, oh, she's only 32. Like how, you know And it's like, yeah, but like, the, it, don't look at the age, look at how long it's been, you know, cause yeah. same thing. I'm 29. Yeah. So it's the same thing I get all the time. I'm like, yeah, yep. but I literally started training people at 18. Like I've been doing, I've never done yeah. anything else besides work at a yeah. fucking pharmacy as a clerk on, <laughs> because I needed a job while I interned, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. um, okay. So the last question on programming is about your, your course. I want to know a little bit more about yeah. it. Um, just because I think that, you know, when you say your, uh, your philosophy is like, let's focus on simplicity and queuing and yep. those things. Uh, how do you fill up a course? Like what is, what is involved? You know, like a lot of people have like 27 <laughs> modules with all these different, and it's like, holy shit, there's a lot going on. What is the breakdown? Yeah. If you can, if you can fill us in on that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it starts with a three week review of anatomy and physiology. Because to me, if you don't understand the machine, you can't be a mechanic, right? So a lot of people get their certification and I have my degree in exercise and sports science. So, you know, I will teach within my means what I can teach these students, um, which I think is enough to be very good at programming um, for your clients. But a lot of trainers do not have any background in anatomy and physiology, which blows my fucking mind. It's not their fault. I'm saying like the fact that certifications don't require some level of anatomy and physiology when you are literally being hired to change people's physiology. <laughs> what are we, what are we doing? So, um, three weeks of that, it's a seven module course, but it's dripped out over 13 weeks. Um, and I, it's not me I'm taking tried and true concepts programming methods and teaching people how to seamlessly transition through those different types of methods so that we are managing volume, we are managing load um, for long-term programming. So at the end of the course, they are going to deliver me a three to 12 month program that is from, um, they can deliver it however they like, but I give them my kind of year-long macro phase template in how I organize a year-long program so that you can see it from a bird's eye view. So they get access to that, I walk them through it, and then that is how they actually will receive their certification is they have to deliver me a program and I will approve it. And then there's quizzes along the way that test them on different things, but we basically break down like every piece of programming. So frequency, assessments, tempo, load, all of, all of these have their own module. So it is really going like, super deep on each simple aspect of training so that they can become better at programming. Because I do think that a lot of coaches would sell more confidently as well if they were confident in their programming methods mm -hmm. in knowing what they put on paper is going to do what they think it's going to do. Yeah. And that they can back the reason for choosing a certain set and rep scheme or choosing a certain superset versus doing single sets. Like, why are, why are you doing that? That's my big thing is you should be able to answer me why to every single thing that you are putting in a program, everything should have a purpose. And so that is where the name pure programming came from. It is just like 
programming in its purest sense. And you should be able to do it very fucking effectively by the end of my course. I love that. I, I like it yeah. because, you know, there's, if somebody's like, oh, I'm, you know, NASM certified, which I am, by the way, so nothing gets it. I'm not yeah. impressed because I literally just did it just to have the credentials behind my name because I was reading different textbooks yeah. and doing through different stuff. And I literally just skipped everything, just did the test and I just Googled yep. shit if I needed to. And, and this is years ago. I haven't retaken that test and I don't know how long, but I remember yeah. like questions being like, what exercise is this? And there's like a guy doing a curl, a lat pull down, a squat and like a RDL. And it's like, really? Like you have to like, I yeah. just like, which one of these is a bicep curl or something, you know? And it's like, that's all you need in order to be a trainer, you know? Um, yeah. but it's, but it's cool that you simplify it too, because I remember, uh, do you remember the book anatomy trains? I don't think so. Very old. It's probably up. Lots of anatomy books, but I don't know that one. One of the books that like I was passed during my internship, like read this. I just remember opening it and being like, oh my God, this is overwhelming. Cause it's like a textbook mm -hmm. about anatomy and it's like, holy shit, this is dry and difficult. And I just want to lift heavy things and I'm young and this doesn't like, why is this important? Um, so having mm -hmm. courses like that, uh, my good friend Austin current wrote a book called, uh, I think it's just straight up the science of strength training, like very basic name okay. which is great but same thing breaks it all down very simply and it's like that's what people need is stuff like that but a course that actually walks you through it I mean that's even better because people you can't really rely on people to just read the textbook and actually get it well and that's where it came from was um you know I, I think to my knowledge I was one of the first coaches certainly female that had a 12-month membership built by Annie since 2017 and that from that time, coaches have been asking, Hey, you know, what resources do you use for programming? What's a good programming book? Did you take any courses? And it was like, no, this is just my culmination of experience of reading Poliquin, you know, of reading starting strength of doing my internship of training athletes for however many years it was at that point. And so that's in 2018, I really wanted to create the course, but I just did not have the time or space until 2021 and said, I'm going to finally put this together so that when people ask, I can say, take my course. That's cool. This is the last 10 decades of my knowledge in 13 weeks. That's really cool. And I'm sure there's a lot of yeah. like, I know for me, people ask me some questions and sometimes I'm like, here's the principles behind what I'm thinking. But like, this is just kind of my style of doing it, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's something that uh, I would assume people go through the course and then they kind of find their own way of putting it yes. together, you know? And I think everybody, it's everybody's, I mean, there's paint. And then there's an artist, you know, and the artist is right. going to use that paint differently. And I think that's what people really need to think about. Because when you find your own style and your own way of programming, that's what gets people really into your method and, and like stuck Correct. with what you do because they resonate with the way you do it versus anybody else. And it's not that you're right and I'm wrong or I'm right and you're wrong. It's mm -hmm. just that some people like the way I do it and versus you do it. Even if behind the scenes in our head, the science is the same and we know the outcome is the same exact goal, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's one of the things I want people to... Uh, I think programming is so daunting because it is just this open toolbox and 30 people could write a program that does the same thing successfully. And they could be 30 different programs, right? Mm -hmm. Which makes it very overwhelming. There is no A plus B equals C for programming. Yeah. But I want people to see the freedom in that. That means that, you know, you, there is a good chance you're not getting it wrong, mm -hmm. right? There's a good chance you're probably justified in the, in the choice that you're making. So that's like the shift that I hope people get through taking the course is that they can take the basics and do whatever they want as long as it is in line with the evidence that we do have. Yeah. And you know, you know, we, we primarily have nutrition coaches on our staff, but even for mm -hmm. all of them, I make sure they're 
certified training because I think this stuff is like mm-hmm. even if you're not programming for them because a lot of our clients do do nutrition with us they just do nutrition and or they use our training app which I write the programs for but it's like yeah you should still understand the training and it always blows my mind like I have a buddy um I won't say any names but I remember like when we first became close I was kind of asking him what he did for his business like how he went about training and he he wrote programs for CrossFit gyms right CrossFit gyms hired him to write programs mm-hmm. so I'm like wait these people in gyms and they don't know how to program I'm like I'm happy for you because you're running a business you love, but how the yeah. fuck does that work? It doesn't make sense. Like, how do you own a gym and you don't know how to program? I mean, kudos to him for finding a gap. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good on him for that, I guess. So, um, it's invaluable, but, um, okay. So speaking yes. of coaches and the course and all that stuff, you obviously, you yeah. business coach too, you help coaches. And one of the mm-hmm. things you told me was that you help coaches create their career, their business, their dream job and stuff without the fluff, without worrying about all the things that you might not need to do. What are like? What is your kind of elevator pitch for them? What are you trying to help them create, and what does that actually look like? So my biggest slogan is like "Your biz, your way." You do not. If you want to do sales calls, that's fine. I don't do sales calls. I never wanted to. They didn't fit my lifestyle, especially like traveling full time, different time zones. I'm not. Mm-hmm. It is not conducive for me to be on a sales call or scheduling sales call when I'm moving time zones every three days to three weeks. Right. So that is what I mean by, if you want to do sales calls, that's great. Let me give you the principles of business that you need in order to sell successfully, no matter what method you choose to use, no matter if you make a freaking webinar, no matter if you choose to use the written word and email marketing or a sales page or sales calls, let's make sure you understand what you need to know about your offer, what you need to know about your ideal client and how you can communicate effectively what it is that you do and how you're going to help these people like that. And then they can plug it into whatever you know, approach to business they want to use for their business. And that that's probably going to take them two years, not 90 days. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's probably a special specialized program because not everybody's going to be okay with committing to that. And I agree with you. I think that it needs to be that way. Are there, are there certain things you try to instill with them? Uh, I mean, you mentioned SEO earlier. You kind of talked about like whatever you want to do or whatever platform you want to use. Like you've talked about not using Instagram in the way, unless it's the way you want to do it. Do you have mm-hmm. opinions on how, I think a lot of people rely on one platform and it's usually Instagram. And I think that's a mistake, but I'm curious of your thoughts on that and what you typically tell people they should be doing or should be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do encourage honing in on one platform and being really good at it and then building out your web, right? So you have like these tiers of social media or platforms that you're on, mainly because I think early entrepreneurs see somebody and they're like, they're on YouTube, they're on Pinterest, they have a blog, they're on Instagram. I need to be on all these things, which is just not possible when you're just starting out, right? Like that is the lesson of essentialism. I make all of my Fitzbros read Essentialism by Greg McEwen. It is a fabulous book and it's basically what is essential. Let's make sure that we are only doing that. And we're saying no to things that are not essential right now. Having a blog is a good thing. You don't need it right now. So we're going to put that on the back burner, right? In 2017, the thought of building my peer programming course was a great idea put it on the back burner till 2021. Like think big picture, long-term, own the season of business that you're in, do only what is essential right now. Um, And so to me, what is essential when someone is starting out, which is often where these entrepreneurs come to me from, is you need an audience somewhere that you can provide content to and that eventually will purchase from you. 
even if we make an amazing offer, if you don't have people to sell that offer to who trust you, we have wasted our time. We put the cart before the horse. So we do need an audience. The other thing is that we need a really killer offer that you feel confident selling. Those are like the two freaking priorities. You don't need to have a website when you start, when you start, you do need to have a website eventually, but you can absolutely get away with a freaking application and a social media platform. Ideally, eventually you are building an email list. I teach email marketing very, very early because that is how I launch. I build wait lists and I launch to the wait list. So in Fitzbro, in my business course, that is something that we introduce very early but it is not necessarily needed. So for me, if you can hone in on one platform, build systems for that platform, hone in on your messaging, hone in on kind of, you know, your content pillars, I call them mother categories, then we can look at what is a secondary platform that can support this platform or that has a completely different audience because a lot of people do not cross-pollinate to other platforms. So somebody might follow somebody on YouTube, but they won't follow them on Instagram. It's very rare that an audience cross-pollinates. So looking at, you know, where is your secondary audience going to be? I suggest if you're on Instagram, I suggest your secondary audience being on a search-based platform. Instagram is a social media platform. It is freaking fabulous for building no like, and trust and expediting that because people can see you every day raw in your house, talking to them. They see your training sessions, right? We can't do that anywhere else. So it is absolutely amazing. I encourage it. People are also very ready to buy from Instagram when you get there, but it's not searchable. Content dies after 24 hours. It's not ideal for that, for long-term content. YouTube, Pinterest, these are search-based platforms where someone can go and search for something. And that's bringing up content that you created a year ago, right? That content lives for a lot longer. So ideally people have a search-based platform and a social platform at the end of the day. That's my, there you go. I love that. No, I think that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I haven't read essentialism. I've heard of it, um, but it sounds similar to, I don't know if you've read the one thing, but very similar message. It's like, find your one thing. Just bought it. Focus on mm-hmm. that. It's, I've read it probably four or five times, which means I should probably just go over and read essentialism at this point. But yep. um, great book talks about the very similar thing. And I think that that's to me where a lot of people miss out on too, is that search page. Like for us, mm-hmm. Google blog SEO like mm-hmm. that one's huge. That's mm-hmm. like the like where we put a lot of our focus because I know people are searching for help. We create content to fulfill that help on Google. Yep. You know what I mean? And yep. um and I also love the point that you made too, and I tell the people I work with this as well, but like I have help on my team to do some of this stuff. So there's no way I was doing podcast, blog, right. email marketing, Instagram, all that shit at once. It's just you'll burn out way too quick. And then your content yeah. just suffers and it's just shitty content. Yeah. I mean, my assistant, I do Instagram. My assistant takes those, makes them into blog posts. I record my podcast. Essentially I'm the creator. Mm -hmm. She takes everything and puts it on multiple platforms. Yeah. I have help. Yeah. I would not be able to do that by myself and do everything else that I do. Yeah. And that's just a smart move, diversifying Mm -hmm. and, and delegating out. Um, I love that. I think that's, that's really good advice. And I love the, the email marketing advice too. I think that what I've noticed is I was doing email marketing blog before I was doing Instagram, but like I've seen mm-hmm. people add that and they become way better writers for content on Instagram as well, because it takes a lot of practice and work and long forms of content to get better at writing. And I think that's something people, that's even why I used to read fiction books just to learn how to write better. Cause they write mm-hmm. amazing stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, I love that. The last question or, or kind of topic I wanted to bring up before I let you go is uh, you mentioned in your email uh, being a legit business owner versus an influencer, which yeah. it's not really a question. I think it's just going to be cool to hear your your point of view on that and just to get people to listen. Because I think that, you know, I learned that probably a couple of years ago when I started going to events and meeting some of these people who were influencers that I was like, oh shit, that's so-and-so. And then next thing I know, we're in an Uber and they're asking me for business advice. And I'm like, wait, what? Like that doesn't make sense, you know? And it's And I think people view followers as success and wealth and in tons of clients and impact. And it's not necessarily the case. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes they correlate, sometimes they don't, but I, I'm just curious of your thoughts and, and why that is even something that you threw in that email. Like, why is that a passion for you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think because when I started in the Instagram space, I, I joined Instagram for business. I was not on Instagram as like a consumer. So to me, everything was business-based, uh, which is also, I guess, something we could, I mean, I could talk for hours about being a personal brand mm -hmm. and the challenges that come with that and people's perception of like, that it's your Instagram when it's like, this is my business. I literally wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me having a business. Mm -hmm. So anywho, I think that I saw people with, you know, 75,000, 500,000 followers, and they were always posting about products. And so I thought like, oh, that's how they make their money. Like I, when Halo Top sent me ice cream, I was like, I fucking made it. <laughs> right. And I had like 500 followers or something. It was ridiculous, but that is just not like, I wanted to make the real, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but in actual influencers, people who are full-time influencers and make their money through affiliate marketing and brand deals, there is a reel going around a trend where they did like January, February, March, April, all through 2021, how many brand deals they got and how much they made per month. And I joked that I wanted to make that reel because I make jack shit from the percentage of money that I make from affiliate marketing is under 2% of my total income, which is also why I have an issue when people like call me an influencer I like, so it makes me wish I would just never took a brand deal, like just never worked with any brands um, because of the freedom that you get when you don't work with brands. Mm -hmm. it, you, it's your business. You can say what you want. You can, you know, not share links if you don't want to share links. Uh, so I just think that there are things that come with the influencer side of things that I don't love, but also that there are legit influencers who, like I said, run it like a business. So I do follow a few influencers. I just want to make clear that like, influencers can be good business owners too, um, that make all of their money through influencing. That's all they do. And they are successful, but they probably have an email list. You know, they, they use templates, they pitch themselves, they run their influencing as a business versus people who do not, and are just making money because of the amount of followers they have based on popularity. That is not what we want. We don't want popularity. We want profitability. And that's the difference to me is building actual business structures, honing in on your messaging, coming up with an offer that actually solves a problem for people and understanding business principles is very different than, you know, how do I get the most likes? How do I get more popular? I have clients making $250,000 a year with under 5,000 followers. And they started last year with 300 followers, right? So that's what I'm talking about is that people think you need a bunch of followers and that equates to paying your bills and it just doesn't. Yeah. So you need to focus on the business stuff 
If you're focusing on that stuff, if you're focusing on your messaging, your ideal client, interacting with your audience and treating them like actual humans, the money will come from that eventually. I think it's even, and I don't have anything to prove this, but I feel like influential, uh, influencer marketing or whatever is actually not dying, but it's just less trustworthy. Now people don't trust it as much. Cause you see like mm-hmm. even that reel, I wouldn't trust any of the influencers that did that reel. Cause I'm like, damn, you just bounce from product to product. Why, why would I trust that you actually use that and are about that product? Like you're just doing it because yeah. they're offering you money, which just means I'm not going to trust your shit. And I think it's getting, yeah. that's getting more common. Like people are catching on and being like, okay, these people are just trying to leverage their followers to pitch random products. And, um, I don't have, I, I'm not an influencer. I don't have a huge following, but I've been uh, thrown like CBD, like three, two or three different CBD companies have asked me to do something. And every time mm-hmm. I've like thought about it and I'm like, I just like, to be honest with you guys, like I don't use CBD. So send me a yeah, bunch, I'll use it. And yeah. if I really think it's that great, then maybe I'll say something, but I've just right. never been somebody who really got much out of it. So I'm not going to talk about it. Sorry. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Yep. So, um, but I like sharing that too, because then people can hear, like, I'm really not going to pitch mm-hmm. anything. That's not something I use or live. Yeah. And I totally get like Frey Skincare, Legion Athletics. I used those products and already loved them mm-hmm. and then organically became, you know, I'll, sure. I'm already sharing this stuff, so I might as well get a kickback for it. Yeah. That's what I see it as versus like being an actual influencer, I guess. And maybe that's a completely subjective definition. You know, what is the definition of an influencer really? I don't know. Yeah. No, I a hundred percent agree. Um, yeah. I love it. This has been great. There's a lot of great topics that we covered today. Uh, I do want you to take a second to tell us where you, we can find you website, Instagram, podcast, all that kind of stuff, as well as your course, where they can find that. So we can put all that in the description of the podcast. Yeah. So uh, pretty simple. My website and my Instagram handle are the same. It's just anniemiller.co. Um, on my site, you can find my podcast, which is the Fitzpro podcast, my blog, all of my courses are on the site as well. And then I do have a free workshop. If you are on the biz side of things, your biz, your way, three steps to build a profitable online health and fitness business that they can find. It's all over my site. Love it. Perfect. I'll put all that in the show notes of the podcast. Um, Like I said, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you for coming on, spend some time with us. And uh, yeah, hopefully people go check out that the course, because I don't offer anything like that, but it sounds like it's something (laughs) that I would, I would write myself. So, so I'm glad to be able to spread that. Great. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you.